0: Before we get into today's chat, we'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which we record this podcast today, the peoples of the Kulin Nation. As always, we pay our respects to their elders, past and present.
1: Logistically, how do you have sex with a child? You know, yeah. if they're in your bedroom and you really like having sex in your bed, like mm. almost like, kick your child out?
2: Yeah, Kate asked me about that yesterday. <laughs> She's like, Do you find it weird when the baby's in the room? I was like, not as weird as you with your dog in the room. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Welcome to Talking in Common, a podcast of all things lifestyle, family, relationships, well-being, kids and culture. This is not a how-to, but an insight into the lives of ourselves and others and how we all manage to get by, hosted by myself, Kate Gidinski, and my co-host, Sophie Panton. Take a listen and let's find out what we all have in common. We'd like to say a big thank you to today's episode sponsor, Nutura Organic, the makers of Australian-made, certified organic nutrition for early childhood, made only from Australian milk. Why, thank you for joining me, Sophie.
2: Oh, my darling Kate, what an intro, so profesh, I love it.
0: Oh, well, you know, you know me. Putting your presenter hat on today, girlfriend. I love putting on my
2: presenter hat. (sighs) How are we? I'm excited for this today.
0: I am super, super, super excited too because we finally have a sexologist joining us on the podcast.
2: (laughs) Who doesn't love talking about sex? Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. I think we sang that song last time (laughs) we talked about sex.
0: Uh, Yeah, I think we did actually. You're right. We probably need something a little bit more original, (laughs) but we do have a great sexologist joining us today and this is a topic that we have been talking about sort of delving a little bit more deeper into for a while now we asked a lot of our listeners on instagram what you wanted us to chat more about and this was a very common topic
2: yeah not surprising We want to know too. We want to know all the ins and outs. No pun intended, maybe pun intended. (laughs) The ins and outs. Yeah, we did do a little question thing on Instagram recently and the most popular episode topic was everything around sex. And I think all of us in our talking in common community here are in a very similar boat. We're either mums or dads or trying to conceive or pregnant or, you know, somewhat in the maternal phase of our lives. And so much changes around sex and sexuality and sexual interest and sexual desires and everything to do with the sex, needs, wants, yeah, once you have kids or once you've experienced pregnancy. So, I mean, Kate and I could just share our sex stories. But-
0: <laughs> Tell me what happened in your most recent sexual encounter and when was it? No, we're
2: not going there just yet. I want to know. Until we get into our chat with Aaliyah. <laughs>
0: Well, we should start off, though, with what we have in common because we seem to be um, getting a bit too ahead of
2: ourselves. All right. What do we? What do we, actually? I'm frantic today. Are you? <laughs> you seem calm.
0: Yeah, I feel I feel pretty good at the moment. I was a bit
2: frantic this morning. I don't definitely don't think I'm as frantic as you today. You're like mm. a headless chook over there. No, doing my usual thing, way too many things. I actually was literally overcommitting, yeah. I literally was um, just having a little giggle and reflection of myself before because yesterday I took Honey and little baby Ren to the playground on our way home from somewhere. And, you know, I'm still adjusting to having these two children being my own, you know, my sole responsibility when I'm out with them. And, of course, Ren needed to be fed at the same time that Honey was desperate to get outdoors. It was a beautiful sunny day and she was desperate to get outdoors. So I'm that mum walking around the playground, like one child <laughs> hanging off my boob and, like, trying to help the other child on the swing.
0: Lifting up, Honey. And usually right when you have to breastfeed when you're out in a public place like that, that's always when the toddler demands your attention. I mean, toddlers pretty much demand attention all day, every day. They're little
2: bosses, little boss babies. But, you know, any other mums out at the playgrounds, with their boobs out breastfeeding, like, holler at me. (laughs) I'm with you.
0: I think you just like showing your nipples? You've done it that many times on the podcast this season.
2: I know. Actually, I had to ask our guy that puts the videos together, like, can you blur out any nip slips? Thanks. (laughs) Sorry. Breastfeeding again.
0: If there have been any nip slips, there were actually originally a lot more. We've just had to blur them out. Blur them out, yeah. Um, No, I think I know what we've got in common, though. Yeah. Um, you so, not nip-slipping. <laughs> I'm definitely not nip-slipping no nip here. <laughs> so recently my daughter Lulu has been having a really difficult time at Kinder Drop-Off. It's been oh, incredibly yes. stressful, oh, um, yes. really distressing. It's come out of nowhere and she literally just screams and gets so upset. She's fine, you know, right up until we kind of start to walk into the little play area heading into Kinder mm. and it's really out of character for her. Anyway, we're slowly coming out of it, but she's apparently fine as soon as we leave though, so it's not like she's staying
2: distressed. For anyone she, that doesn't know Lulu's age or your situation, give a little overview of that because I'm sure everyone's in the same Yeah, mode. my
0: daughter Lulu is four and, yeah, she's not normally like that. She, she is very like, she's very mummy and very has been very clingy, you know, the last kind of few months But it is very unlike her to get upset when I leave. So fingers crossed we're coming out of this phase now because any parent who has been in the same boat, and I'm sure there's a lot. Yeah. I know there's a lot. Yeah. It is really stressful and you feel so guilty and so bad leaving them. But at the end of the day, you kind of of have to because you can't just take them home every time
2: they get upset. Yeah, exactly. And that maybe makes it worse.
0: But I know that she has a great time because I get updates, I get pictures, I pick her up. She's as happy as Larry.
2: Yeah. Yeah, well, other friends of ours with four-year-olds have said similar things, haven't they? And Honey's not quite three, but I've been going through a similar thing with her recently. And up until, and it could be since we've had had the new baby, but up until this point, Honey was the same. She's been so happy to be dropped off at childcare and never really fussed about it. Until recently, she's just, she does the same thing. She clings onto my neck like a little koala and she cries and she says, you know, I want to stay home, mummy. I want to stay uh-huh. home. <laughs> so, yeah, we definitely have that in common. I'm with you on that. But but a little bit the same. She hasn't done it this week, actually. This morning when I dropped her off, she was she was easy. So, yeah, fingers crossed that we're both getting through the phase together because... It's awful.
0: I hope part of it wasn't to do with me talking on the phone to you on loudspeaker in your car, not realising Honey was in the back and not only did I swear about five times, I also told her everything that Lulu had been doing at Kinder Drop Off, all of Lulu's little, you know, things that she says and words that she uses when she doesn't want to go. And then apparently as soon as we got off the phone, Honey used one of those little sayings, not sayings, one of those what do you call it? Phrases, Phrases. So, yeah for herself when she got to Kinder. So sorry yeah. about that, babe.
2: No, it was very funny. I think you were saying like Lula won't let me go, or she screamed, or she won't go to Kinder oh, or like the sore Tummy. Yeah, oh, that's what it was, the sore tummy. Yes. And as soon as we hung up the phone, little honey in the back goes, Mummy, I go sore tummy. And I was like, oh God. She knew exactly what we were talking about. Oh. <laughs> so funny. So yeah. Any parents doing the same thing. And going through that stage, we hear you loud and clear. It's a rough one. Do you and Mackie like debate about who gets to do the drop-off compared to the pick-up? Because mm. I always say to Aiden, like it's not fair he does the pick so I'm like it's not mm. fair you get like, you know, beautiful little running into your arms, daddy, so excited, and I get like don't leave me, mommy.
0: I have to say the couple of weeks where it was really tough I did when, when Mackie could do it, I did kind of. Get him to drop her off because I feel like it's a lot harder for me. And Subtly
2: put, baby, yeah. I mean you absolutely refused, and, and then made I did kind it.
0: of go on to tell him that consistency is the key. So you better keep doing it. But no, there was definitely days in in amongst those weeks that, that weeks that I was doing it as well. And yes, I was lucking out on a lot of the pickups, which is the best time because she's by then she's like so happy. She's like, oh hi, mum. You know, excited to see me. But it's like you were like devastated when you left me this morning telling me you didn't want to go and you've clearly just had the best day ever.
2: Yeah. But
0: it is nice seeing them all happy in the afternoon. And
2: And they are being well looked after. It's totally fine. It's just all part of their development, I'm sure.
0: Anyway, enough about toddlers. I'm ready to talk about sex. So should we introduce our guest?
2: Yeah, let's. Well, just to add to a little bit more about the reason why we're talking about this. I mean, maybe we already mentioned it and I'm repeating myself, but yeah, we did ask a few more questions on Instagram, you know, to you guys, what are you interested in? What do you want to know? How do you feel? Where are you placed? And we actually had like the biggest contribution to any of these Instagram question boxes that we've ever had. So we were like, okay, there's definitely something here to be spoken about. And of course you and I as friends talk about this sort of stuff between us, but you know, again, we're here being part of a community and trying to create a community that is has a really open narrative around everything to do with parenting and the transition and relationships and you know generally being happy and healthy and balanced and yep. sex I think has a huge role to play in that and we're going to go into all sorts of different you know meanings of sex when we speak to our wonderful guest Aaliyah. we are But, you know, you and I are both at very different stages in our life too. I only had a baby four months ago, so sex looks very different to me than it did a year ago (laughs) and even, you know, three years prior to having any kids at all. So, yeah, I'm so here for it. Yes, me too.
0: All right. Well, our guest today, Aaliyah Hatcham, is a sexologist and she's also a fertility counsellor who is passionate about normalising the conversation around sex, pleasure and fertility. This is a topic that we know, as mentioned before, is of interest to so many parents and we can't wait to hear all about it.
2: Enough of me talking. Let's talk to Aaliyah. Aaliyah, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast.
1: Today, how are you? Oh, thank you for having me. I'm I'm well. I'm I'm tired, uh, but I'm good. <laughs> yeah,
2: just having a discussion about sick children,
1: never-ending sick children.
2: We've all been there. We hear you.
0: So, Alea, can you share with us and our
2: listeners a little bit
0: more about the work you do as a sexologist?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I work as a sexologist and a fertility counsellor. So, I do my work across both. But my work as a sexologist is predominantly in the scope of fertility, as well as pregnancy and. Pregnancy. Postpartum as well. So it's kind of the work that I specialize in, but I also work closely with our pelvic floor physios at our clinic, um, AISSM. I deal with a lot of female sexual pain or female pelvic pain and a lot of low libido stuff as well. I see too.
2: We were just saying before that sexology has, and you know, it's probably got a lot to do with social media, but like it's a much more common thing now, Mm -hmm. and there's a lot more resources and a lot more people to be able to see and sort of tap into this industry. Is it like a new thing or is it because of social media or like what exactly is sexology?
1: Yeah, I think social media has definitely highlighted it and spread the word about it. I don't necessarily think it's a relatively new field, but there are a few key players in the industry that have made it uh, normalized, I guess you could say mm-hmm. um, and made it accessible to so many different people. Essentially um, to answer your question sexology is it's kind of like the scientific study of sexuality okay or like like we say psychology is the scientific study of human behavior. Sexology mm-hmm. is kind of like that in that basically encompasses the psychological, emotional, sociocultural ways that our sexuality can be impacted and it has a huge medical grounding as well that not a lot of people really consider. I think there's a bit of a myth that sexologists usually just talk about sex positions all day. They're just like, we <laughs> good
2: at having sex. Yeah. yeah.
1: Or oh, they're having heaps of sex, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which is one that I hear a lot. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's kind of like a medical degree. So mm. it shows that there's a little bit of validity in what we do, I guess you could say.
0: When and why are some of the main reasons that someone would go and see a sexologist?
1: Oh, a whole host of reasons. Yeah. Sex education, which you believe is one of the most common ones um, mm. because we don't get taught about pleasure at school. There's so much that we learn, we don't learn about in school. You know, Sex education primarily focuses on not getting pregnant or not getting an STI and mm. how heteronormative sex exists, right? That's mm. what we learn yeah. in school. And so learning about pleasure, learning about anatomy, if you're experiencing pain, seeing a sexologist to get You can see a pelvic floor physio to deal with the physical aspect of it, but working on the emotional aspect of it or your attitudes and beliefs around sex, you know, how you were brought up, how does that influence um, how you have sex or your attitudes and beliefs around it. You could be experiencing issues in relationships. You know, my partner has a higher sex drive than me and I don't or there could be so many issues across that. You know, some of the most common ones I see are, we've been trying to conceive and we're just really struggling or Mm. I'm struggling with my identity while I'm pregnant to have sex with my partner or Mm. postpartum, you know, what is sex? (laughs) I guess you could (laughs) say in that period. And so there are so many different reasons.
2: You mentioned before that a lot of your work and focus and passion is around fertility and a counselling around this as well. Mm. What was it that made you take that path?
1: I've always had a really big interest in fertility, babies, pregnancy. My second preference when I left school was to be a midwife. because okay. I didn't think I'd get into my first <laughs> preference with psychology. So I've always had a really keen interest in that. And then when I did my master's in sexual medicine, I majored in reproductive endocrinology and infertility, which is essentially a course for fertility specialists or medical professionals who want to get that fertility accreditation. And a lot of the work, that we did in the fertility subject, none of it's focused on sex, which I thought was mind-blowing because you have sex to get pregnant, but you know mm. the impact of sexual functioning on fertility was rarely discussed. But if you've got mm. sexual pain and you're not having sex with a partner, how do you think you're going to get pregnant? right? Or if your partner has erectile dysfunction, how is that going to work? And so I was really interested in marrying those two concepts together and sort of making it my niche because I wanted to normalize the conversations around fertility as well as the conversations around sex.
0: We do want to talk a little bit more about that later on, but yeah. before we do, we asked our audience on Instagram, has your sex life changed since having kids? And not surprisingly, 100% out of 154 people that answered all said yes. Yes. So there's definitely a conversation here to be had. hmm What are some of the most, I guess, common things or issues that you see with couples after having babies? And, you know, can we talk, I guess, about the impact that pregnancy and parenthood Mm -hmm. has on our sex lives? That is such a big
1: question. Like, where could I begin? I think it's kind of a few little questions. I know, I know. Well, my baby is almost a year, so she's almost a toddler. So I've been through it. I've experienced it. I think pregnancy changes us. And by us, I mean the partner carrying the pregnancy, from a physiological perspective but also an emotional perspective as well, some people may have experienced birth trauma or some people may have pelvic pain following their pregnancy depending on the type of birth they had, you know, the impact of uh, stitches, the episiotomy, mm. it could be you know, forceps, it could also be prolapse as well that occurs. Um, so it's that there's that element the sexual Mm. pain or the trauma associated with the birth could also just be low libido or like sex is the last thing on your mind, right? Because suddenly you've been given a tiny human and you have to care for them 24 seven. So if you're nursing, particularly your body is like wired to protect that baby, anything else that is a distraction will literally be closed off biologically because we want to keep that child alive. Right? So I think not a lot of people understand the, biological impact that pregnancy can have from a hormonal perspective on literally yeah. shutting down your sex drive because like why would you have sex and get pregnant again you know because then you'll neglect your current baby so it's shutting it down it's making you sort of nest and look after your little one but then you know just like deprived you're nursing so you're probably feeling touched out you're like, go away to your partner. Mm. I can't deal with you right now. You can't have anyone else touching me right now. (laughs) Like you might want to murder your partner. Like I have done. (laughs) So there are so many different reasons why I guess pregnancy and postpartum, in fact, impact on sexual functioning, but Mm. also as well, like you're a mother now. And I think society definitely has an expectation around what motherhood should be for women, especially, or for femmes, because sometimes motherhood and sexuality are seen to not coexist. It Mm. seems to be a very exclusive thing. You're a sexual being or you're a mother. Yes. And so I think as well, it can be quite conflicting for a lot of women too.
2: Yeah. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because this is one of the things that I was saying to Kate the other day, like not to you know overshare, get too personal, but I see myself as very different from a sexual point of view now that I'm a mother. Mm. So my partner and I used to have a type of sexual relationship and now as like mum and dad it's very different Mm. and that's not to say it's not enjoyable or it's, you know, it's better or it's worse but it's so different. It's something that we did not consider before we Mm -hmm. had kids Mm -hmm. and it's kind of like a weird field to navigate, you know, like do you still do the same things before but yet you're kind of like seeing them as like dad and mum, you know. It's a weird combination but I think I'm, I'm sure it must be common.
1: Definitely. I mean, you're leaning into those roles of mum and dad. So, so you see your partner differently. Like you see them singing play school songs and you see them in a completely different light. And yeah. you know, while it can be really endearing, sometimes it's not that sexy, right? Nah. Like you're going to go
2: from Blake singing play school songs to like mm. pushing me up against the wall. Like, I don't know. It's a bit of a <laughs> trick. baby
1: screaming in the background. <laughs> yeah. Your baby yeah. screaming in the background. Like, do you let them scream? Cause like, but logistically, how do you have sex with a child? You know, yeah. if they're in your bedroom and you really like having sex in your bed, like, almost mm. you, like, kick your child out.
2: Yeah. Kate asked me about that yesterday. <laughs> She's like, Do you find it weird when the baby's in the room? I was like, Not as weird as you with your dog in the room. <laughs> <laughs> on the dog on the bed. Dog's <laughs> like, know
0: what's going on? I swear. Do you know, I'm they at do. obviously a different, different stage, but I even find like it's, you know, very rare that you'll be trying to do the deed when, you know, the middle of the day when you've got young kids. Hmm. But any time my kids are happily occupied and the odd time we might sneak off to try and do something, with literally in two seconds I hear little footsteps coming down the hallway. I'm like, it's like they know. What? Like, oh, my God, give me two seconds. Anyway, they do know. They're they very know. intuitive young kids. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah they know. Yeah. So I'm interested to know how you'll answer this, but from your perspective, like yeah. how important would you say that sex is just for a relationship?
1: I think sex is important, but I like to reframe it as how important is intimacy for a relationship. Yes. Because there'll be times in your relationship where sex just isn't a thing, like Mm. postpartum, like, you know, a death of a loved one, like a redundancy, you know, life happens and that can impact sex, right? Or the penetrative sex that we normally see as our definition of sex. I think if we reframe it as intimacy, I think it's incredibly important for a relationship. Like it's, it's vital because it's connecting with your partner on a physical level, but also an emotional level as well. Shows your partner that you love them, what differentiates, you know, a housemate from an intimate partner.
0: True. A lot of our audience, our audience obviously are mums or parents who are busy and time poor. So let's yeah. talk about the concept of scheduling sex yes. and the mm. pros and cons that can come with this because... I was reading about this recently and it's never been something that's crossed my mind to do it. And I asked Sophie the same question. I was like, Have you ever scheduled sex? And she hasn't. Oh, you said, Have you? No, you haven't done it. You haven't. No, but sex. I like
2: the idea of it. And mm-hmm. again, we did the same thing and asked our audience on Instagram. Most people had said no, they hadn't. But quite a few people answered and said no, they hadn't. But they think They're it's a good open idea. To it. Yeah, yeah. over to it.
1: Yeah. I think the idea of scheduled sex is that it's a type of sex that isn't sexy. There's an idea that sex should be spontaneous. Yes. But when is sex spontaneous? And if you rely on sex to be spontaneous, you'll never have sex (laughs) because if we're waiting for a particular condition to be met to have sex, like I have to be in the right mood. I have to be clean. I have to, you know, not have a full tummy, whatever it is. I think, you know, you're going to be waiting a while. And so scheduling Mm. sex, I think let's reframe it into a positive way. Firstly, Rather than scheduling sex, let's make it scheduling intimacy, Mm. okay? And if sex happens, great. If it doesn't, let's remove the pressure and let's just have a really good time with our partner. If it means that you've got children and, and, you know, you can leave the children at your parents' place or with a sitter, it's time to just connect again and to to step into the couple that you once were before you had children, you know, without mum and dad, without those roles being attached to it. And then, you know, in terms of worrying about being turned on for that event or for yeah. that schedule, I think, again, see it as a build-up, see it as a slow burn, give it conscious time and thought, think about, you know, your partner, think about all the things that you might like to try, hmm. give it a little bit of air time because we can't just not think about it and then enter a sexual situation and be like, right, I'm turned on. It just doesn't yeah. work. We need to add fuel to the fire essentially and make it like a little bit of a slow burn. It appeals
0: to me a lot more when you talk about just kind of having been intimate or connecting Mm. with your partner or spending time together. That's kind of uninterrupted time rather than, okay, we've got this time scheduled and we have to have sex. Because as you said, that can be so much pressure and it's not guaranteed that you're always going to be in the mood. But obviously having that time together kind of makes sense because then you're going to be connected and then you're probably going to want to get intimate with your partner,
1: you probably just end it, end up doing it anyway, right? But yeah. You, you, yeah, you know that it's kind of like that's a spontaneous element. Yeah, you may or may not do it. There's a bit of unknown. right mm.
2: My initial thought, like when you propose that idea in your mind, like scheduling sex, like your immediate reaction is like that takes all the fun out of it. Yeah, but mm. the more I thought about it, I completely agree with what you were saying, Kate. And for the stage that I'm in at my life right now where, you know, my partner's at work a lot, we're both busy, we're both really tired, we've got a new baby, all of those things that are almost like little negative marks against your sexuality Mm -hmm. or your sexual relationship, dedicating a bit of time each week just for like intimacy sounds really enjoyable. Like that sounds Mm -hmm. great. Rather than just like sitting on the couch at the end of the day when we finally got both kids to bed watching a show that none of us really care to watch and then going to sleep Mm. scheduling some time just to be with each other and if the intimacy ends up just being a really good conversation or a massage or you know bonus points if you end up having sex like i think it's a great idea
1: board game wine cheese yeah just basically dedicating time to each other and if you're tired, you know, don't see it as like you need to do it for a couple of hours, just half an hour even, a couple of times a week is enough to make you feel like you're connected to your partner. Yeah. And then if you want to plan like a special date night, you know, once a month, whatever is actually achievable because you don't want to put these unrealistic expectations on, you know, on scheduling sex. Yeah. Or figure out what you can actually achieve first and foremost and then kind of work your way around that and incorporate it that way.
2: Yeah do you still get asked the question like how many times a week is it is normal to have sex mm-hmm.
1: all the time yeah there's <laughs> like the average i think is like 1.2 times a week but that's for like a couple who are young who don't have children yeah exactly <laughs> so that's still quite low anyway yeah let's focus on quality not quantity definitely yeah. You know, yeah, if it's once a month but it's really good sex and you really enjoy it, that's fine.
0: Yeah. I find like we go through phases as well. Like sometimes you'll have lots of sex and sometimes you won't have sex for a little while and yeah. then you'll be back on it again. Like it changes mm. all the time, I've found, yeah. depending on what stage you're in and what's happening in life, yeah.
1: Absolutely. What,
2: what about for you, Aaliyah? Like you're a new mum yourself, so you're mm-hmm. navigating the same field that we are how has the transition for you been with your sexual relationship with your partner or even with your sexual relationship with yourself since having a baby
1: it's taken an absolute downturn Mm. (laughs) and i i think i put pressure on myself as well because i'm a sexologist i should know all the things that i need to do Mm. you know i'm like my worst client right (laughs) Um, it's like a chef that eats maccas for dinner yeah Literally, the last thing on my mind, and we have been dealing with constant sickness. It's,
2: it's mm. like,
1: yeah, I am struggling with my new body. I'm struggling with my identity around what sex used to be for me, and and how I can, you know, make it my own. I guess in this new phase, and I think it does get easier as, as the child gets older, and you're sort of you're settling into your new roles. Yeah. Um, but I've, yeah, I've I've really struggled um, with it. Mm. And wrapping my head around it and trying to fit it in and,
2: yeah. and all of that. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people find comfort in hearing someone like you say that. Like, makes yeah. me feel better yeah. <laughs> about myself.
1: Oh, my gosh. And the pain. Like, I wasn't prepared for the pain following childbirth. Yeah. 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 Talk to us a bit about that. Yeah, I had, well, I had a really easy birth. Like, yeah. like the baby just slipped out, which was great. Oh um, <laughs> amazing. I Amazing. I had an amazing observation, like yeah. hats off to her. I had been seeing a pelvic floor physio my whole pregnancy and even postpartum. I got a check just to make sure that I wasn't having a prolapse because, like, oh, my God, like the feeling down there afterwards. But, yeah, I think the pain as well that comes with, you know, the first couple of times is, is really mm. brutal. A lot of people aren't prepared for that. mm be this expectation that like right the baby's out we wait six weeks great we're good to go it's not yeah. always that way you know physically you may not feel ready emotionally you may not feel ready but the pain is there because you know particularly if you are nursing your baby again you're going to experience hormonal changes to the wall of the vagina you're not going to be as lubricated there's going to be some thinning or some degeneration of the tissue because essentially you're you have the same hormonal profile as someone in menopause And a lot of people don't know that. They're like, oh, like I've got pain. I didn't know that until you just said that actually. Yeah. So a lot of women in perimenopause and menopause do experience um, lack of lubrication and some atrophy of the the vaginal wall. And so, yeah, it's a really common thing at different phases of the lifespan, I guess you could say, you know, after you've had your child and then later in life. Mm. And so seeing someone like a sexologist, seeing someone like a pelvic floor physio or even your um, obstetrician or your gynecologist to sort of get some knowledge around that and then ways to overcome that as well. And also you're not alone. You're not an outlier for experiencing that pain. It's really common.
2: Yeah. Interestingly that um, we were speaking to someone else recently on the podcast and they very openly shared some conditions that they had after the birth of their first child and they didn't know that these conditions even existed or that they were even a thing, but she was experiencing a lot of pain having sex after birth and wasn't guided in the right direction by her GP and had to go and sort of figure it out herself. But, found, you know, found out that she had specific conditions that were causing the pain and, you know, she just didn't know to talk about it. No one else was talking it took about it. Years she years to find out what it was, I think, she said. I think that's right. It took a, a long time to figure out what it was and it just even made me realise like you know what yeah it's a bit uncomfortable for me after this baby and maybe just because that seems like maybe it's normal it doesn't mean we all have to suffer in silence and uh, just thinking that it's normal and not, you know, not wanting to complain about it or something. There's resources, there's people to help, there's, there's things to do. People
0: need to talk about it more as well because, you know, it's not tend to be something that often we talk about amongst friends and then it mm. becomes this taboo topic that I don't want to say that it's painful for me to have sex yeah. after I've had a baby. Mm. So, I think it's great that people are starting to be a little bit more open with these types of conversations. Yeah.
1: Mm. Yeah. Or it's important to know that, you know, It can be normal to experience some discomfort but then when is it really painful when when is it a concern when should you go see someone when Mm. does it become a really bad issue so knowing that there is help available for it i think is really important so you know it's having me on your podcast so that other people can learn where to go and get help if they need to is great Mm. let's let's normalize the conversation around it
2: all right, Kate, time for an ad break. Let's do it, babe. <laughs> I love the philosophy of the Nutura brand. It's very much what we believe in here at Talking in Common. It takes a village to raise a child, and we all know that, right? Seriously takes a big village. And Nutura's village is a collection of parenting, health, nutritional and agricultural experts who aspire to support parents and create innovative, wholesome, organic nutrition for our next generation.
0: Made only from a australian milk using a fresh milk formulation meaning it dries its high quality milk only once not twice this means more of the goodness is locked in including naturally occurring bioactive proteins with zinc iron and plenty of vitamin c nutura organic supports little immune systems to be the happiest they can be nutura organic the guaranteed
2: goodness of fresh milk in every tin
0: we did touch on low libido. You mentioned it before. What are some of the main causes for men and women of low libido and you know, how much of this is sort of due to things like mental health and
1: stress? Yeah, I think libido is so, so multifaceted. There is that physical element you know, or hormonal level and the way that that can impact on our libido, but there's also the emotional impact as well. If we're talking about postpartum or even pregnancy, our hormones change, you know, they're plummeting. So from a hormonal profile, what makes you have libido is testosterone or androgens. They stay male hormones, but, you know, females and males have them as well, but that is a main contributor to libido. And after we have a child, even male androgens or even male testosterone drops, would you believe? Okay. After
0: we push the baby
1: out, however you give
0: birth, there's lots of different ways, but then the the males...
1: Yeah, okay. That's they lose their testosterone too, and a lot of people don't know that, and so their libido might drop from a physiological perspective as well. Um, But then also mental health. You know, a lot of people don't talk about postnatal depression in men, um, Mm. but it's one in ten, and not a lot of people talk about that. And even you know, women, it's like oh, baby blues, but some people, baby blues doesn't go away after day three to five, and it can Mm. stick around. And mental health is huge. You know, if you're anxious, your body literally doesn't have the space Mm. to experience sexual arousal and desire because it's in survival mode.
2: Mm. Talking about postnatal depression or cases like pre or postnatal, we had a couple of questions from our audience about that and taking medication for it related to sex drive as well. Mm-hmm. So I suppose that's another, you know, huge consideration. If people are struggling with postnatal depression, they're either just struggling with that alone. But then medication on top of that can really decrease our libido and sex drive as well, right?
1: Yeah. There are certain medications that they prescribe in the postnatal period for, you know, depression and anxiety. And you know, they give them if the parent is nursing because you know it's validated, it's tested, it's what they know, and more often than not, those um, traditional medications that they've done the research on yeah. do impact sex drive. Yeah. Whereas some yeah. of the newer ones that have come around don't, but they haven't been tested. Right. And yeah. so I think it's really important to have a discussion either with a psychiatrist or the person prescribing your medication so that you can yeah. express that you know my libido is taking a downturn. Um, it could be a number of factors but can we try and exclude medication from that
2: since we've been speaking so much about what the landscape of sex looks like after you have kids and and a mm. lot of women i think are feeling like they have no sex life anymore since they've had kids and mm. and then as well like low libido and you know maybe postnatal depression or anxiety all of these things that are contributing to why as women and men we're potentially not having as much sex once we have kids a lot of our audience answered that they still want to have more sex in life in their life they still desire it but they just yeah. don't physically want to have it so what would you say to those people
1: yeah absolutely that you know i think that's really important to acknowledge that just because you don't feel like it you can still want it and i think mm. by still wanting it it shows that you know you're in the relationship still got it still got it <laughs> And there are ways around it. Like, you know, I would always recommend getting blood tests, checking your hormonal profile, seeing what you can address. You know, maybe you just need more iron, right? Yeah, <laughs> you've yes. lost, Maybe you've lost blood in childbirth and you're you're just super tired and you need an iron infusion, and then maybe you're, you're back on again. Like, yeah, okay. Let's just see what your body needs. Let's fill it up that way, and then we can work on those emotional factors. Hmm. Because if you don't have the bare minimum, if you don't have your physical self in the right space, it can be really challenging. Mm. But then also let's take it back to intimacy, right? I think, is it sex or is it closeness? Is it sex or is it connectedness Mm -hmm. um, with your partner? Or is it just feeling like, you know, you're in a relationship without a third member or a fourth member tagging along all the time? (laughs) And I think let's actually figure out what you want. And how we can make it happen. And that's when it's like seeing someone like a sexologist can be really handy because we can sort of understand the biological aspects that impact, but then also we can help you get your libido back. We can determine what your turn-ons are, what your turn-offs are, and how you can incorporate that into sex with your partner.
0: Mm. Do you often find couples, you, you see a lot of couples who have maybe different sexual desires? Desires or drives, do you think? Wh- which one? Or both. Sorry, probably both. But, you know, who might not have, let's say, like great communication Mm. and they might both want really different things in the bedroom.
1: Oh, yeah. You're not your partner and you're not a mind reader. And I think a lot of people just expect their partner to know what they want. Yeah. And then you're just going to end up disappointed because they have no idea what goes on in your head and you have no idea what goes on in their head. And so I think sexual communication is really important. Yeah. But I do acknowledge that the hardest person to talk about sex with is the person you're having it. And the worst time, to, yeah, when you're having sex, it's like the worst time to talk about sex, right? Yeah, don't talk about <laughs> it in the bedroom. To talk about it in, in neutral ground, definitely. Um, I do a lot with patients about sexual communication because no one teaches you how to talk about sex. No. Particularly with the partner. Yeah. And all the things that you don't consider, right? Yeah, Like for some people, sex can be really shameful. And so to talk about it with a partner, you know, you could be bringing up a lot for yourself, but you could also be worried about, Offending them, or yeah. you know what they might say back to you if you express a desire that that you feel shame around. Yeah, and so yeah, talking about sex is really important, but know that it can be really awkward and it can be yeah. really uncomfortable. And not in the moment <laughs> of when you're doing <laughs> it. Don't do it in the bedroom. No, don't do it when you're naked. Don't do it when they're inside you either. Like, yeah. <laughs> So,
0: what about you know talking about incorporating sexual pleasure as part of self care? Because self care mm. is sort of something that Sophie and I have talked about a lot on the podcast, but we've never kind of really looked at, I guess, sexual pleasure as being a part of our self care. But it makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. Sex is self care. Yeah, yeah. Well, self care is such a
1: buzzword, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's like oh, self care, but like self care looks so different for
0: everyone. Yeah. And I think it's changed since having kids too. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. But it but it's actually is so important when you have, like, it just makes you such a better parent and such a better partner if you have those moments of self-care. And self-care mm. looks different for everyone, right?
2: Mm. That's, That's why we talk about it so much because it's changed a lot since we started talking about it compared yeah. to how we consider self-care now. A lot of it being much more mental now <laughs> rather than just, like, physical
1: yeah, mine is like getting a pedicure up. That's like my self-care. Yeah. <laughs> you can sit in the massage chair and then like, feet, yeah, you like don't need to like talk to anyone. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it depends on your priorities, right? Figure out if, if it's important to you, if sexual pleasure is a priority to you mm-hmm. and then absolutely figure out how you can incorporate it into your self-care routine. And it can be private to you, you know. Mm-hmm. It can be on your terms, you know, your best sexual partner is you. And and also I think it's really important, particularly after having a child, your body's changed. Mm. So what turned you on and what felt good for you previously may not feel good for you now. So it's really important to figure out how your body's working, you know, what feels good in your body, what brings you pleasure. So then you can go and communicate that to your partner.
2: And I think there's like a lot to be said about the experience and release of an orgasm, right? Like the things that your hormones can do to like – Relax you or ease your stress a little bit, right? Can do
1: absolutely. Sleep,
2: yeah.
1: Induce sleep, make you feel happier, decrease stress, act as a pain relief. Mm. Like the list is- gives you glowing skin. Mm. <laughs>
2: So that's why it makes so much sense for it to be part of caring for yourself. You know, if it does all of those things, like we all take like pills and do exercise and use creams, like to yeah. make, to do all of those things, like if sexual pleasure can do that for us.
1: A lot of people put it at the bottom of the list. And that's what I, I just mean about making it a priority and figuring it out, figuring out where it sits in your priority list. Yeah. Because more often than not, it will go to the bottom. Like for some people, a shower is non negotiable. So that's their self care. That's like bare minimum. Like have a shower every day, great, but then what else can you do on top of that that makes you feel good?
2: Mm. I also found it quite fascinating that from some of the answers of the questions that we asked our audience, a lot of people's responses were that they don't – self-pleasure themselves or they don't use any toys or sort of playfulness with sex with themselves or with their partner. Mm -hmm. It just made me think like how do people know what they like or how do they know what their partner likes if they're not experimenting and do you think there's like a generational thing with who's more – Open to exploring things, or like, is it a female thing? Are we just all feeling a bit embarrassed, or like, what is it that people aren't exploring? Because I found that quite fascinating that so many people said that they'd never tried anything like that.
1: Yeah, I think, I think it's definitely becoming a lot more common the conversation around toys and trying new things. But you know, again, a lot of people don't talk about it with their friends. A Mm. lot of people feel shame around it. Mm. So while we're you know while sexologists and and even practitioners are working really hard to normalize the conversation around toys as a sexual aid. Yeah. There is still a bit of a stigma around it. You know, oh, my partner doesn't do a good job. Like I shouldn't use a toy because it might offend them or, you know, there are so many mixed messages. But mm-hmm. um, I think it's becoming a lot more common and I hope that a lot of people feel like it's a fun thing to do. You know, it's fun to experiment. It's fun to play. It's fun to try new things. Yeah. You're having the same sex every time you have sex. How boring!
0: I know. It's definitely fun to try new things.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, girl. <laughs>
1: and if, you, if you're unsure of where to start, like you know, there are so many different websites that are less tacky. than I think yep. as well, like the idea and of sexy going land. into, a, yeah, going into sexy land or like ClubX, it just feels really intimidating to a lot of mm. people. Where as it's changed a lot in how we purchase sex toys. Yep. you know, online. Buying anonymously, yeah. Um, go on, have a look. You know, mm. Love Honey is really good because it's very gender neutral. There's so much on there, mm. um, and I often will recommend toys to my patients. So I'll just send them links. I'll be like, "Have a look at these. See which mm. one you like." Yeah. But even beauty websites like Adore Beauty, yeah, yeah. Even Cotton On. You know, everyone is starting to get on the um, sexual pleasure bandwagon and realize that sexual health is self care and it's 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 just health, really.
2: Love that. So good. Great reminder.
1: Yeah, go to Adore beauty to buy your sex toys and you get a free Tim (laughs) Tam. Love (laughs) a Tim Tam. Aaliyah,
0: thank you so much for joining us today. You're
1: welcome. Thank you.
0: It's been so lovely to connect with you and we really appreciate Mm. you giving us your time.
1: Absolutely. No, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate the work that you do. So thank you. That's it for
0: today. Make sure you head to incommonprojects.com.au for the show notes. Hit subscribe on your podcast app and follow us on Instagram at Talking in common. Or you can check out our Facebook page, which is also Talking In Common. Have a lovely day. And as always, thanks for listening.